0: Luke 2, 1 through 20, is what we'll be reading. Uh, you can find it on the screen behind me. If you've got it with you, you can follow along uh, that way. Um, it looks like I'm good. This morning, my, I don't know why, the, the version app wasn't letting me read from the NIV, which we always read from. It was like, it's not available to you. And I'm like, why? And now, it's, all of a sudden, it's here. Um, so, that's good. Uh, if 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 I might have to turn around and read is what I'm saying um so uh before we read let's let's pray together again lord we're grateful for for the scriptures for for this book and uh It is it's precious to us because when we enter into these stories, uh, somehow, some way, you speak to us, and uh, through the power and the presence of of you, Spirit, we we hear your voice, and so we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds Good story. I like it. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I really like that line. Because um, it, ma- it makes me realize that, that Mary wasn't just a, a vessel to be used. She had agency. And she thought about this. She was a smart young but smart thoughtful person after all that had happened as she sat there in the quiet in the stillness in the darkness and she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart do you wonder what she was thinking i think the story sort of invites us to wonder what mary was pondering what was going through her mind i mean who knows I mean, maybe she would just rehearse the, the events of the past day and night. I don't know. Yep. Ordinary Joseph, ordinary Mary experiencing the, the birth of an extraordinary child on a somewhat ordinary night. The way that Luke tells it, um, Mary and Joseph had been traveling for about a week or so from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They were going to Bethlehem to register for some sort of, of Roman census. Caesar Augustus wanted to count all the people in his empire. A big, powerful Caesar wanted to count all the people in his empire so that he could figure out how much bank he was going to make. He wanted to figure out how much he was going to tax people to keep things running. And when the emperor issues a decree, like the whole world moves uh, to make it happen. The whole world moves. Because if you don't, you're going to suffer the consequences. So Mary and Joseph, they obeyed. And on the night they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary, who was very pregnant, well, she went into labor. They tried to find a place to stay in the inn, but apparently there was no room for them there. It was full. So the innkeeper offered them a place, a place out back, stay in the in the stable with the animals. And there, surrounded by all the straw and dirt, and donkey and cows and all the Sounds and smells that go along with being in a stable, their baby boy. Well, he was born. They named him Jesus. They wrapped him in soft bands of cloth. And, and since they didn't have a bassinet or a crib or a pack and play available to them, they put him in a cow's feed box, a manger. And as Mary looked down on her newborn son... I wonder what she was thinking. She pondered up. She treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I wonder I wonder if she ponders the words that the angel had spoken her on that night uh, about 9 months before when she found out she was pregnant. Do not be afraid the angel said. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will give birth to a son. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. And his kingdom will never end. I wonder if she pondered what those words really meant. She must have had way more questions than answers, right? Way more questions. Did she really just give birth to the Son of God? Like this little baby is going to be a king? Like How in the world is that going to happen? And what will his rule look like? What will his kingdom look like? Of course, she could only wonder. She could only imagine. She could only dream about the future for this future would-be king according to an angel. Again, more questions than answers. But we, we don't have to wonder because we know the rest of the story. We know that God came into this world in a humble human birth we know that god came into our world of injustice and suffering and violence not as a conquering king not as a powerful emperor not as a like a strong-fisted military man no god came into the world as a vulnerable baby think of it god chose to live our lives god the divine chose to be born as we all are born. God chose to experience life as we experience life, and God chose to experience death as we all will one day experience death. Why would the creator of the universe do such a thing? I've asked that question a number of times here in this space, and I've answered it, and now I get to try to answer it again in a little different way. This morning, God came to the world in a humble human birth. Why would God do such a thing? I think there must be hundreds of reasons why, or more. Um, but this morning, I'm just going to take a crack at maybe three of them. How's that sound? So here's the first thing. Why would God choose to do that? I think that maybe, maybe God chose to do such a thing to just to show us that, that God's not afraid of the mess. God did such a thing to show us that God's not afraid of the mess. I mean, think about this story. Just this story in particular. It's such a messy story. First, you've got a, a pregnant, unwed, 14-year-old young Mary. You know what everybody has to say about that, and it's nothing good. It's messy. We give Joseph some credit. He decided to stay with her, but I'm guessing they're gonna need a whole lot of really good therapy in order to make it through this whole ordeal. Don't you think? It's pretty, pretty messy. There's the tough, messy, week-long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. When they get there, there's no room. They have to stay out back in the stable with the animals, and oh, the animals. Think about the animals. Not Karen they drop whatever they drop not caring who's going to step in it it's messy it's smelly it's all over the place and then who shows up at the end it's the shepherds the shepherds on the scale of humanity they're not up here they're they're like down here and you don't you don't come out of spending all day and night with the sheep without all the smells and mess that comes with that job it's a messy story and then And then there's the whole God took on human flesh part of this whole thing, right? God comes as a vulnerable baby. God taking on our weak, frail, messy flesh. You know when you get a cold, a really bad cold sinus infection, and you get all that drainage and you have to blow it out and your nose is always constantly dripping. It's really super messy. You wake up in the morning and you realize it's drained into your lungs and you get in the shower and you start coughing and all, all that stuff comes out too. It's really messy. I think about my dad. I didn't ask him if I could do this. If you're watching, Dad, sorry, here it is. Um, I think about cancer. I think about chemo. I think about what that did to his, his body. I think about the last three weeks. He's spent in the hospital, tubes stuck in his lungs, sucking out all that gunk because he's got he's got pneumonia. It's messy. It's gross. God took on our flesh, our frail, human, weak, messy bodies. I want you to listen to what Nadia Bowles-Weber has and to And there's think. like
1: this fact that God became flesh, like this stuff, the stuff that disappoints us all the time, you know, that sort of gets in the way and um, isn't like we think it should be and ages and um, gets fat and stops producing insulin, right? I mean, the, the ways in which our physical bodies can so um, fumble and disappoint us. And, and yet, this is what God chose to have. That's incredible to me. And I, what does that then mean? that we have a human body, that this is is the God chose to make God's home within flesh. What does that mean for the fact that I have a human body? And then what does that mean for how much concern I might have for how any human body is treated or trafficked or abused, right? So this, this means something profound to humanity, that God chose to walk among us in flesh, that is powerful to me. And there's like this fact that
0: God's not afraid of the mess. God took on human flesh. God's not afraid of the mess, including yours. Your mess. God's not afraid of it. Your anxiety and depression, God's not afraid to step into that with you. Your habits and addictions, God's not afraid to step into that mess with you. Your struggle with weight and body image, God isn't afraid to step into that mess with you. The hurt you endure from people not understanding you or accepting you, well, God's not afraid to step into that mess with you. Your struggle with your job or with school, God's not afraid to step into that mess with you. Your struggle with faith right now, Not really knowing what you believe or what you don't believe or whether or not you believe anything, anything at all, God's not afraid to step into that mess with you. Your struggle with the church and with some of the things that Jesus people get behind and support. Oof, God's not afraid to step into that mess with you. Your worry about the future your uneasiness about what kind of world we're leaving for our children, God's not afraid to step into that mess with you. Your your fear that you're a failure as as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, God's not afraid to step into that mess with you in a world that's filled with Patriarchy and misogyny and racism and homophobia and all the other isms. God's not afraid to step into this world to be with us. God's not afraid of the mess. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us in all the mess. And listen, if God's not afraid of all of our mess, then this place right here ought to be the safest place in the whole world for all of us to be honest about and own our own mess. And if God's not afraid of our mess, then we don't have to be afraid of our own mess or anyone else's for that matter. In fact, maybe, maybe we're called to step into the mess with each other and into the world. Seems as though that, that's where God might be found if we chose to go looking. Maybe it's in the mess. That's the first thing. God became a vulnerable baby. Chose to experience life like we experience life. Why would God do such a thing? Well, maybe, maybe it's because God considers all of creation worth saving. Think of it. God considers the world worth saving, and that includes your little life. Look, this whole Christmas thing, this whole unbelievable and incredible idea that God was born in a barn out back with the animals as a baby, I don't think it's only comprehensible to me if God thought that human beings in general were worth saving. It's only comprehensible. Why else would God go through the trouble of becoming one of us and enduring all the mess unless God thought we were worth saving? Of course, it's a very normal, I think, and human thing to doubt that reality. I mean, just think of the mess that is all of our lives, Think about the one or two things I mentioned earlier that you sort of identified with or the things that you thought of when I was talking about how messy life is and how God isn't afraid to step in the mess with you. Think about that. Why would God think that our little lives are worth saving? Well, I don't know that it has anything to do with anything that we've done. I think God just decided that we were worth it. You're worth saving. I want you to hear that this morning. You're worth saving. You're worth it. You're worth healing. You're worth it. You're worth being made whole again. Think about all the other stories in the Bible that sort of bear witness to this idea. We could start way back with Abram and Sarai. They weren't anything special. Go read that story, Genesis, way back at the beginning. Like They weren't anything special. God seemed to just pluck them out of obscurity, almost out of nowhere. Like, why them? We don't know when. We don't know why. The story doesn't tell us. God just plucks these two people out of obscurity. They're already old. But God still is like, I'm choosing you. And he chooses them to create this new kind of community that blesses. This new kind of community that is a blessing to the world and eventually through which the Savior of the world will come. I mean... Even after Abraham tried time and time and time again, read through that story, he tried to screw things up so bad, and yet God still stuck with them. What in the world is God doing? Well, apparently, they were worth it to God. And then you've got King David. Right? You've got Joseph, who comes from the line of David. David, who's described as a man after God's own heart. Read the story of David, and you're like, that dude is a man after god's own heart you got to be kidding me you read his story and it doesn't and you read you read some of the psalms that are attributed to him and it doesn't take you very long to figure out that here was a guy who battled with depression and anxiety most of his adult life if not his entire life most of the tough rough stuff that happened to that guy was the result of his own excellent mess-making skills And yet, God stuck with him. Apparently, that guy was worth it to God. There are thousands of stories like that in the Scriptures. Thousands of them. And you and me, it just kind of feels like we're next in line. You. You need to know this deep down in the deepest parts of your soul. Your life is worth saving. Your life is worth it to God. God came into the world in a humble human birth, a vulnerable baby. God chose to live our lives. God chose to be born as we are born, experience life as we experience life, and to die as we all will someday die. Why would God do such a thing? I think God did such a thing just to show us how much God loves us. Like you can't, you can't talk about the Christmas story without talking about the love of God. That would be gross negligence by the preacher. Gross negligence. Why would God do such a thing? Because God wanted to show us just how much God loves us. That's what this story's about. God's love. God comes among us in the birth of a child, in the way every one of us was born, in the incredible miracle of human life, in the love of a mother, a father, a family, in the love of a community. That's how God comes to us, we believe, in love. And then he grew up and became a man, and he lived this life with authenticity and courage and selfless love, constantly giving himself away. This story says that the very essence of God isn't what we might expect. Power, majesty, awesomeness. No, it's vulnerable love. Love born among us as an infant. This book says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The Scriptures don't say God was so angry with the world that He sent Jesus to punish the world and make them feel guilty about all the ways in which they made a mess of things. That's not what it says. It says God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It also says that God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. What an amazing thought that is. It means that there are a whole lot of people in this world who experience the presence and power of God, and they don't even know it because they're in the flow of love. They experience God. And that finally is what this story wants from us, right? It wants us to love that's what this story is calling us to do to love one another to love those no one else loves to love life in this messy world and to love god so here's the question why did you come here this morning maybe some of us came here because well it's Christmas Eve is what you do on Christmas Eve. You, you come to some sort of service like this. Maybe some of us came here because it's a good opportunity to, to share life and an hour with some of the people who care about us the most. Maybe some of us aren't really sure why we came. We just came because our family came and we just sort of tagged along. That's okay. But whatever the reason you're here, my hope is that while you've been here, you've been able to experience a little bit of the divine, and that when you leave here, you'll be, able to, you'll be able to sort of pay a little closer attention to the presence of the divine, even if your life is a little messy. My hope is that while we all sang these songs and we listened to the story, my hope is that we all experienced the love of God and heard the call of God to just love. Because when we love, we experience Emmanuel, God with us. As we move toward the table, let's pray.